Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the Lakers lose again. The Bucks lost to Minnesota. Jazz are going to be in Milwaukee to see the Bucks on uh, Sunday. And Houston tied the World Series 1-1. We'll get to all of that coming up on what is trending in one hour. But right now we're going to start you off with a game I know a lot of you are thinking about. 6-2 BYU, 6-2 Virginia. And yes, Bronco is coming back to BYU, and that's a big storyline. But... Virginia is throwing for more than 400 yards per game. It is ranked, they're ranked second in all of Division I bowl subdivision football. It's a massive number. How is BYU going to defend that? Here's BYU defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki with the media. Well, got to ask uh, about getting ready for this Virginia offense because it looks pretty good. Yeah, you've seen some film? I watched a little bit. I didn't break it down like you are, but I watched a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're really good. They're uh, obviously well coached. Got a lot of good players. Um, I think, you know, Robert and I just just did an awesome job with them. I mean, with where they're at, just uh, that's the type of stats they're putting up, the amount of points they're putting up. It's a really really tough uh, offense to prepare for, um, and you know we've got got our work ahead of us. How much do you? How much does it help when the offense is clicking in that sense, both emotionally for the defense, but also if they're able to put together some drives and give your guys a break? How, how much would balance in that sense help you guys out? Oh, that's. Uh, I think that's. Um, that's that's a, that's a huge help. You know, in football in general, you look at uh, just any team's playing. When the offense is scoring, then uh, you know takes a lot of pressure off the defense. When defense is playing well, but the offense is keeping the ball, it's uh, you know a complimentary deal. And so I think just the the tactical uh, game of football, um, you know, you want the offense to do well, and you want the defense to keep keep points off the board. And the more you have possession of the ball, the better off you're going to be. He, uh, Kalani took a, a different page this week and deferred any injury updates to the coordinator. So I'm going to ask you any, what's the latest on Zoe and Caden Haas for uh, their availability this week? Yeah, we're, we're still taking it slow on, uh, on Zoe. I'm being cautious with him. Caden will be back. Uh, Blake Mangelson will, will, uh, is still out. Is Jacob Palau out for the year? I know he was, he was, yeah. uh, got hurt against Baylor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jacob Palau is out for the year. Okay. Yeah, he's uh, yep. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, that's that's great. And then uh, wanted to ask you um, about Virginia's coaching staff, all the connections. It's obviously a big storyline coming in. Do you do you feel like that? Uh, you have to like temper ex or emotions for your guys coming in this game with with um, maybe some of the the coaching connections with a lot of these guys having a homecoming of sorts. Um. <clears throat> You know, I think that that's uh, those storylines exist. Uh, you know, anytime that that you've got something like this happening, but I think our boys are doing a good job staying focused. Um, you know, we've obviously had games like this before with with playing Utah every every year and and those type of deals with uh, you know us knowing each other as a coaching staff and and it's just uh, you know kind of on the outskirts of the of the main story, which is uh, our players and and their needs and us uh, you know getting prepared to to win a game. Excellent. I think it's my turn. Um, yeah, go ahead, Jay. Sorry. Have you matched which wits before with Robert and I head to head, even as an assistant defensive coach somewhere? 
Um, just then as, as an assistant, when he was here, I was, I was coaching. Uh, that was my first couple of years at Utah um, with Kalani. Kalani was the coordinator. Um, you know, that's, that's really the only familiarity I have with, with coaching against Robert. But uh, and then, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's an OG. He's an OG in this game. And I'm just a, just a little bubblegum guy trying to come up and trying to be like him. You know, he's uh, in, in the Polynesian culture and the community. We all look up to those guys that have been in the game for this long. And that's how I feel about uh, Robert and I. Were you guys – did you recruit Wayne, uh, their running back, uh, Tapalahu, or <laughs> I can't say his name? Uh, Papa. I guess uh, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, he was. Uh, I think committed with the previous staff. Um, it's it's been so long ago. I can't really remember, but um, didn't didn't really have um, you know that, that that much interaction with him. And then uh, Brandon Armstrong, the Virginia quarterback. Who does he compare to that you've played so far, or is he so unique uh, that that nobody really stands out? I, th I think it's hard to, th to th uh, think of anybody off the top of my head. He's 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 really good. I mean, he's he's uh, really efficient. Just got a, he's got a phenomenal arm. Obviously, he does things with his legs. I, I you know I don't uh, could, I don't want to disservice him by comparing to somebody that that probably take away from his talent. He's a very very talented person. Okay, next that's Sean Walker and then Jay Catch. Hey, Coach, I, I know you guys are so in, dialed in, locked in on Virginia and game to game, game by game and everything, but you guys did clinch a pretty big milestone uh, last week with bowl eligibility, that sixth win and everything. Um, Kalani was saying that, that that bowl eligibility is a really big deal for the program, just being able to get those extra practices in and that kind of thing. How big of a difference have you been able to kind of see those extra practices really, I guess, affect kind of the, the guys that are on this team right now even? I mean, how big of a deal? Uh, is is that from your side of the ball? Yeah, it's it's uh, <clears throat> really important for us to 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 get those uh, those practices where we can continue to develop. You know, there's we've we've uh, you know uh, taken an approach uh, in recruiting and development that that's that's our deal. And so any kind of practice where you can get the young bucks, um, you know, scrimmaging each other, getting some getting some extra reps, some extra individual time is going to be huge for us um, for their development leading into you know, an off season uh, of uh, eight, eight week training program before you start spring ball. Coach, I, I wanted to ask in terms of when you guys switch between a three and a four man front, I know it usually depends on the opponent as you're going up against, but what's the difficulty in I'm sorry, you, you cut off there. Uh, anybody get the, the whole question? Okay. Jake, try again. You, you cut out. Okay, let me try that again. Yeah, so, Coach, I was asking you, in terms of your guys' three- and four-man alignments with your down line, I know it usually depends on the opponent you're going up against when you determine what you're doing with that. Is there a, a certain skill set you need for guys to be able to switch between those two different alignments, or is it just, hey, this is what we're doing this week, let's move forward? Yeah, there's uh, there's always uh, you know specific things that you're asking them to do, and you know that's where where some players are highlighted a little bit more in in one scheme versus the other, and and uh, you know when you're when you're playing three down front, you're you're playing with a little bit more, 
you're playing more backers or you're playing more more DBs. It's just those those guys are highlighted, and that's why you know you see a guy like Jacob Bourne who <clears throat> kind of quietly just been contributing to the team on special teams and other areas, but where he's highlighted because we need more cover guys or we need more backers or whatever it is, and um, you know that's uh, you end up going back to a four down front. You just you know, you're you, you, nobody really knows much about uh, what D line play is, but there's there's just a need for just uh, bigger bodies in there. I also wanted to ask you about Jacob Boren. What's his background, and why has he made this shift to all of a sudden being a starter? Uh, yeah, he's he's done a phenomenal job for us. Um, you know, he's he, he walked onto the program. He is a kid from Highland. Uh, uh, went to Highland High School and, and served a mission. Came back and just just has been busting his tail uh, to to try to get on. And he you know he walked on and and uh, has been contributing on special teams. Was originally a receiver and just really trying to trying to find a place on the team to contribute. And he's been with us for um, he's been with us I think since spring. Um, playing, playing nickel, and and uh, finally had his moment to you know his name called, and with a lot of just different movement, different guys being injured and out, and all that stuff, uh, you know he had an opportunity to play and, and did a really good job. Okay, we've got uh, time for one more question, uh, Derek Lloyd. Go ahead, Coach. I know you guys understand how fans are going to say what fans are going to say. And I know the players sometimes get into it a little bit. And we were talking to Lopa yesterday and he had some pretty strong um, complimentary things to say about how the guys buy into the scheme and they care and how he feels like maybe sometimes people don't understand, you know, exactly what you guys are trying to do. What's it like to have the player buy in like a guy from a guy like, like Lopa? Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that uh, speaks volumes to just the type of players and kids that we have in the program. I mean, you know, you uh, go. You know, the amount of games that we've been winning in the last two years. I think it's it's because players like that that are completely bought in. That are that are. Uh, you know, it's it's sometimes frustrating even for a guy like that. That like Lopa that. Uh, you know, is, is coming back off of COVID year for his senior year. And, you know, it's been, in, you know, rotating, sometimes starting, sometimes not. And it's just, you know, for a guy to be selfless and be, be all into to what we're doing and, and competing and just trying to find a way to contribute, I think is the reason why, you know, you have the team that succeeds is because we have a lot of players like that. There's BYU defensive coordinator Elisa Tuiaki with the media. When we come back, we're talking jazz with Joe Ingles and we're talking college football with Riley Jensen. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's a game Cougar fans have circled for a long time as Bronco Mendenhall makes his return to Provo as the Cougars welcome in the Virginia Cavaliers. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Visit the Ford Fan Zone on Level 6. It's your next jazz game. Level 6 has free Papa Shot games, cornhole, and foosball tables. Enjoy incredible city mountain views while relaxing, enjoying food and drink, taking in the game, and socializing with friends. DJ and PK, it is time now to bring in our college football insider, Riley Jensen. Riley joins us right now. 
On the Smart Rain guest line, Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. Riley, good morning. Good morning, guys. What's going on? Broncos coming back. The Bruins are coming to town. And what for them is an elimination game. It's a big night of college football Saturday. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually really excited about football this weekend. Oh, good. <laughs> Thanks, Riley. Have a good day. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry. I was, I was kind of organizing my next thought. Uh, look, I think that Bronco coming back to town, is, it's a real beginning dynamic. Uh, there, there were people that loved Bronco. There were people that didn't like Bronco, both inside and outside the program. But I think, I think what we've known for a long time is that Bronco is a very good coach. And, and the reason why I think Bronco is a fantastic coach is because expectations for his players are always very, very clear. Now, you may love it. You may hate it. You may hate a quest for perfection uh, type T-shirt or some sort of like – mantra that is offensive to another team or even even inside you may not like the way that he presents it but there is not one player that played for Bronco and I Bronco was my defensive coordinator when I was when I was playing at Snow College that's how that's how far back that's how old I am now right and he he's just very clear about what it takes to play for him what it takes to to succeed and all those sorts of things, and he's a little stoic in nature. I mean, we did a we did a skit when I was a freshman in college. I was scared to death because all the guys were making me do, you know, an impersonation of Bronco, and he used to wear his Oregon State cleats with his number, and I got the coaches to steal his cleats out of his locker and let me wear it. And, so, and man, I was so nervous about kind of poking fun at Coach Bronco, and he came out. He came out at the end, and he just had like a little smile, just a little tiny smile, and he goes, "Well done, Jensen. Well done." And and that's about all you get out of Bronco, right? Like, that's about all you get out of him, you know. And it, and it, and it was, uh, but but man, the, you talk to a player that played for him, and there's this there's this deep level of respect for him, and I and I anticipate that this is going to be, um. Oh, a hard-fought game because you know Kalani wants to win this game and you know Bronco wants to win this game. And so it's going to be very, very interesting. Doesn't BYU have to just pulverize these guys so it sends a message to LDS kids? Don't go across the country. Stay right here. <laughs> I mean, I I think in some ways we, we overrate like wins and losses as to whether – you know, whether somebody's going to go to a school or not. I mean, every kid has to decide whether it's a good fit. Most LDS kids, if they, if, if they're really wanting that, that BYU experience, they can't, they can't get that BYU experience at Virginia. But if it's a really, really smart, good football player, who's, who's maybe not all just not, not that he's not all in on the religion, but he feels like he's religious and that he can get everything that he wants at both schools. That's, that's the player that you have to worry about. But I think you bring up the word pulverize, and as I've been looking through the stats a little bit, one of the things that stands out to me in this game, and I think you'll see this develop during the game, is that 
BYU has to run the football very, very effectively, and they have to keep this offense for Virginia off the field. Virginia's offense is rated fourth in the country. BYU's defense is 72nd. But I think the one that's the most, I think the, the statistic that I'm most interested in is, is BYU's defense is 113th in the country in third down defense. And Virginia's offense is 15th in the country in third down offense, meaning getting off the field for BYU is a huge deal against this offense. And, man, that statistic right there just makes me really nervous for BYU. And then you've got, you know, you've got this quarterback that threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns, then he ran for two touchdowns last week. I mean, this is this – is, it has to be easily the most high-powered offense that Broncos ever had. So is BYU secondary up to the test? Is it even fair to put it on the secondary? Are they going to be dropping eight and trying to clog the lanes? And and uh, Dylan Cauley was explaining to us how that confuses receivers as they try to decide which route they're supposed to be running on a given play because they usually have a couple options. So how, how does BYU slow down this passing attack? Well, so this is this is my theory on, on defensive backs, and I've thought this for a long time. And if you you think about the University of Utah and all the great defensive lines. Yeah, you think about that, PK. I am? Think about that while Yacht calls Riley back. I'm thinking about it. <laughs> what have you come up with so far? I'm still in the process of thinking. So I haven't reached a conclusion. I, I don't know how I feel about this particular game. I can look at the stats, yeah, but I don't know what is true in this particular game. I know the stats as they related to the other games. What does that mean this game? Not sure yet. Well, Riley, we've been thinking about it. You ordered us to think about it, and then you went away. <laughs> I, I actually just lost my train of thought. What did, I, what, what did I say that threw me off? Why did you get hang up on me? I don't even know what's going on here. I'm totally confused. You're going Scott Gerard on us. <laughs> I, I I seriously did. I lost my turn of thought. Oh, I thought you were just I thought you were screwing around with us. I asked no, you no, about no. the the BYU secondary. Can they handle this? Is it even fair oh, to put yeah. on the secondary because are they going to be dropping eight? Got it. So my my theory on on defensive backs and slowing people down. If you if you think about the University of Utah in the past, you think about the different things that go on with 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 defense. When you have a great defensive line, you produce great defensive backs. Defensive backs make all kinds of plays when you have a great defensive line. Um, and and the, the point that I would make that, that even proves it even further is I, there was a few defensive backs that played with me at Utah State University that I thought were great defensive backs. They didn't put up great stats. And then they went on into the NFL and played great football for seven, ten years. And I think the biggest difference is when a defensive line can put pressure on a quarterback or when a defensive line can can fluster a quarterback a little bit by only rushing four or only rushing three, and then, then DBs can make plays. Nobody, I don't care who you are, I don't even think Deion Sanders could have done that. Well, maybe Deion Sanders, but throw everybody else out. But nobody can cover a guy for six, seven seconds downfield. Nobody can do that. It's just... It's not even possible. And so, to me, there has to be 
some sort of hesitation created for this quarterback or some sort of, of like, man, I'm not sure if I should throw this ball. And whether that's – I mean, I kind of feel like BYU's defense has been big in the rushing three and dropping eight. But I think they've got to mix it up a little. They've got to bring some different pressures. They've got to do some different man-on-man schemes. They've got to do some things to kind of mix up this quarterback. Because if you don't, he's just going to sit back there and throw for 404 touchdowns. And that, to me, that does not bode well for BYU. And I'm I'm really surprised that – because if you look at Virginia's stats, they're throwing for 400, but they're, just, they're rushing for just over 100 a game. I'm surprised that their third down efficiency is so high. That means that they're doing really, really good high percentage passing on first and second down, and that, that's how you that's how you get them off the field. Is you've got to make good plays on first and second down, and not not hang everything on third down. So you have two guys who have BYU experience coaching there. One's coaching now, one coached before, and their styles are a little bit different, as you said, Bronco. Doesn't necessarily is a warm fuzzy guy. Where Kalani will just hug you and practically uh, you know kiss you on the lips as far as that goes. I mean he's so warm and receptive and open. What does a player look for in a head coach when it comes to that stuff? Well, I think I think when you're young, this, this is interesting because I've kind of evolved on my thinking on this. I know when I was young, I loved a player's coach, right? Like I had a, I had a coach by the name of, of Coach Mike Canales. Some people call him Chico. I mean, he was what I would call a player's coach. I mean, he was always celebrating your wins. When you made a good play in practice, there was a high five and a butt slap. And it just really, like, it, it, it felt like it energized me. And then my next offensive coordinator was a guy by the name of Ed Larson, who's the head coach at Lehigh. And, dude, I had to fight for a compliment from that dude when I was playing. And now now I'm really tight with him now, and, and we're really good friends now. But when I was playing for him, it was like I was fighting for my dad's approval. Like, you can't believe. Like, it was like if I got a compliment, I could have ran on that for four months from him. And there was a couple times where he called me out in front of the team. But my best season was under Ed Larson. And it, and it wasn't even close compared to the, you know, and I had Bobby Petrino as a coach. He wasn't necessarily a player's coach. He was, he was really hard on me. And then I had Dave Arslanian, who was a player's coach. What I would say is the common denominator or, or, or the thing that I think is most, most important is the great ones want to be coached. The great ones want to, they want to know that not only do, do do you respect my game, but you are going to push me as far as I can go. Because when I look back on my career, my best seasons were with coaches that were that, that weren't necessarily my best friend, and they weren't necessarily players' coaches. But man, I think they showed me love in a different way. They showed me love in a way that they believed in me, and they kept pushing me and kept pushing me and kept pushing me. And I think a lot of those guys that played for Bronco, they really loved loved him because he pushed them, right? Now, it doesn't mean that if you're a player's coach that you can't be somebody that pushes, but you can't be the guy, you know, sometimes player's coach get mixed, gets mixed up with um, kind of these coaches that move the goalposts on you. They're like, well, no, you're doing great, man. We love you, but you never play, right? And so they never give you real feedback. They never give you real stuff. And so if you're going to be a player's coach or if you're going to be a hard-nosed coach, I don't care which one it is, as long as you're consistent in your message, 
And as long as you're truthful in what you're trying to tell the player so that he can get on the field, you got to tell guys the truth. If you don't tell them the truth, that becomes really, really hard. When you know, It's like Charlie Brown when – I can't remember, is it Lucy that moves the ball out? Yeah. Underneath yeah. When he tries to kick it, right? Yeah. There's coaches like that. There's coaches that are like, no, everything's good, everything's good. Well, and then all of a sudden you're falling on your back and you're going, wait, I thought you told me if I did this I would play, right? And so that's something that coaches learn over the years. It's something that players learn over the years. And I think, I think you can do both styles as long as there's truth underlying both of those. Is UCLA going to run through Utah the way Oregon State did? Yeah, I, I, the, the Oregon State game was really fascinating for me to watch because that's, that was an impressive run game from Oregon State. Now, I don't, their passing game was nice and complimentary, but I, I don't think I've seen anybody run the ball like that in the Pac-12 since Utah's been in the Pac-12. Like, that that was impressive, like, hard-nosed, like, just, just knock-your-teeth-out type offensive football. And I just have a hard time believing that UCLA's the same way. Now, UCLA, I thought, when I, and really my reference is the LSU game, which is not that impressive of a win now, but they are much more physical than they they have been in the past. I think there's a level of physicality that's better. But they run a little bit different running scheme than than what Oregon State does. And I think the running scheme that, that Oregon State, State runs is more difficult for the U than the running game that, that UCLA will use. And so I kind of feel like they're not going to be able to run through the Utes like Oregon State did. I think – I think you're talking about a really, really tough ball game. I don't know if their quarterback's going to play, and I think that makes a difference because I think even though his stats aren't, like, spectacular, he's, like, 50 or 60 yards running and 250 yards passing. It's still 300 yards of total offense, right? I think this is a game that the Utes win, but it's going to be a dogfight. It's going to be a dogfight. How do you explain them stumbling inside the five-yard line multiple times? Shouldn't you know you got something that you can count on? Yeah, I, I I'll tell you what I'll tell you what's interesting about Kyle this year is, and he said he hasn't said it outright. I've listened to a couple of his interviews, but he's buying into some of this analytics, right? And he's he's definitely gone for it on fourth down more than I've ever seen him. Uh, at least that I can remember, and I, I love it slash hate it, right? Like, and 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 he's even said like, look, we're we're looking at the analytics. Now, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not all about analytics, but I I felt like he's been much more aggressive. My question would be, and I don't know what's going on in the background, but uh, I think uh, Coach Ludwig has got to have this figured out now that that Coach Winningham is being more aggressive that he does have a signature play or he does have some sort of like mindset as they get inside the five or inside the 10 yard line that he's probably got four downs. Um, And so I I think they've got to get a little bit more of an identity in the red zone there. But what I will say is it may have been in the past that he'd been so used to the conservative nature of not going that he was like, okay, well, we'll play for a field goal here and, you know, 
you know, I felt like you can't say that, that Utah left 21 points on the board because you don't always get touchdowns when you're doing things. But if you kick field goals, they missed one, and then they had two opportunities on fourth downs. I mean, nine points is, is a big deal in that game. And I don't know what the answer is because I, I get nervous about tempting the football gods. If you don't take an easy three points, they're not going to give you seven points when you need it. And that, it just makes me nervous. But the analytics is telling everybody to go for it on fourth down. I mean, Kalani's more aggressive. You know, Coach, you know, uh, Coach Winningham's more aggressive. I feel like Utah State's been aggressive. Somehow there's an analytic out there that says go for it on fourth down. And I, I think that's the way of the future, I guess. But, man, it, it feels like they left some points on the board. More likely to win their division, the Utes or the Aggies? <laughs> the Aggies. The Aggies, man. They got a way easier schedule. I mean, dude, you, you, you get a little bit of football luck. I mean, they, they probably they probably could have lost that game on Friday night. Colorado State gets, you know, they they get all confused going in for their their last second kick, and they they miss wide left. Utah State gets a, a big win. They're five and two, and I I mean I feel like their schedule lightens up considerably right now. And man, I mean I've even heard, and so this isn't a criticism of of Coach Anderson because I've heard him say it. He, he didn't say it in these words, but it's been a little bit of smoke and mirrors this year for Utah State. I mean, they're not real deep at the D-line. They're not deep at linebacker. They've been doing enough to slow teams down. They've been putting up they've been putting up points in an exciting brand of football. I, I'm way excited right now about Utah State football, and I know it's not, you, you know, it's not like, I mean, I don't think there's any chance that they win the Mountain West Conference against San Diego State or Fresno, but they have a real good chance to be in that game right now. And it's just, it's a real compliment to this this coaching staff. They've done a great job. It's an exciting brand of football. I really like watching it. There's local players. There's snow college players. There's out-of-state players. It's just a really good mix of people. And then, you know, I – it's really fun to watch them either on TV or in person and just see how how great that student section is and how fun it is to be a, a Utah State fan and, and watch that kind of environment go on. Riley, as always, we appreciate it. We will talk to you again next week. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you so much. There is Riley Jensen, our college football insider, Joe Ingles, next. Ready, 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 ready. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes return home to the friendly confines of Rice-Eccles Stadium for a key Pac-12 South Division battle against Chip Kelly and UCLA. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game, and then catch the Ute pregame show Saturday with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hey, yeah! This is The Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic, and certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bell! Bam! 
Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show <laughs> with DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280, The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. Time to welcome in Joe Ingles. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is underway. Take advantage of the Save Now Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Joe, good morning. Hi. <laughs> Come on, Joe. You're 3-0. and You're playing well. You're winning games. How about a little more energy? Hi. Uh, come on. Hi, guys. This is awesome. Yeah, that's better. That's a little bit better. I can live with that. I want to know right off the bat, when was the last time you got ejected from a game? Um, I don't think I ever have. Ever, um, huh? That was the first no. one. No, I don't think I ever have, so... At any um, level? No. Nah. <laughs> okay. So was there a level of surprise? It didn't look like it was an ejection uh, worthy, but nevertheless, that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I understand the, the I guess, the reasoning behind it in terms of him being obviously in the air and um, obviously the fall didn't look great. <laughs> um, he obviously was pretty high up, and and I, I spoke to him. I've, I've spoken to him, and he, he was very well aware that it wasn't on purpose, and um, he, he was okay. Obviously, first and foremost, which was the the main thing of of the concern. But um, yeah, I was. I mean, I was trying to get out of his way. Once he, once I saw he was lining up to, to try and dunk it that split second I tried to kind of pull out and, and get out of the way and he, he kind of clipped the side of me and um, obviously had the fall so um, I for sure thought it was going to be a flag of one um, I don't know exactly what the words and terming, uh, terminology is but I didn't think it was that but Obviously, they, they yeah. make the call, and at the end of, I mean, it is what it is. We won the game, and, and again, obviously, I, I wanted to make sure he, he was okay, and, and he was, and um, someone actually sent me the clip after of him talking to the media, and he, he, he said that he knew I didn't do it on purpose and, and stuff like that, so that's all good. Um, it is what it is. We move on. Seemed like it was a letter of the law type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess the interesting part is you see different nights, things get called, certain ways or not certain ways I mean it does like I said it is what it is um, at the end of the day like I said I, I was hoping that he was okay because I think he grabbed his wrist or his, his elbow or something right. and um, obviously I had zero intentions to, to hurt the kids um, even though the rest of the game he locked up our guys he's a hell of a defender yeah. um, but he was okay and that, that's the main thing so um, I'm glad we won Um 
but yeah, I won't be running back on transition defense anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Quinn can't wait to hear that. <laughs> That'll bump him up. <laughs> yeah, we just can't risk it, Quinn. I don't dare do it. So get a sense. You're right. The important stuff here is you won the game and he's okay. So now let's get to the more interesting, unimportant stuff. When you get kicked out really early in a game, in a road game, like what do you do? You're not at home. You can't go home. Do you just sit in the locker and watch the game? Do they bring you the post-game spread at halftime? What do you do? Yeah, it's extremely boring. I can tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was. I mean, I walked back there, and um, obviously Rudy Gay was back there um, with him not playing at the moment, um, and it definitely helped me um, realize even more that I don't want to do any kind of video or scouting or anything because they were all just sitting there watching the game and obviously cutting up the film as it goes and. Um, we watch clips at halftime and, and sometimes after the game or guys want their clips on the plane to watch to the next the next city or whatever and they're all sitting back there like coding the game and doing all that so it's definitely a, <laughs> a clear cut thing that I am not doing that when I retire um, yeah I had some food had a shower um, <laughs> Smoke. obviously watched the, watched the game watched the, watched the game still um, Call I your mean, wife. Yeah. I texted me, Renee. Yeah, Renee was texting me. I think Renee texted me. And she's actually listening right now, driving Jacob to school. But um, she texted me and was like, all right, well, I'm going to go to bed. Cause <laughs> I don't need to watch you. <laughs> yeah, she can get an early night. Um, yeah, it's not uh, It's not ideal. I won't be uh, putting myself in a position to do that again. Well, then you come back against the Nuggets and you have that outrageously hard foul against Green. What's going on? Oh, my gosh. That's, that's so typical of Jeff flopping like that, too. I said to the referee, I've played with him long enough to know he was going to fall over then. But, no, Jeff's my guy. I, he's genuinely one of my favorite people in the world. So three games in, and you've been through this so many times now. Is the uh, what? What is the level of urgency as far as getting better? I mean, I know you have to, and all that. You're you're beating some bad teams, or in the case of Denver, a team that's just incredibly shorthanded. Mary's out, and then Jokic goes out in the second quarter. That's like sixty-one million dollars worth of salary. And you guys are rolling. So is it? Are you able to create that urgency to get better when you're winning all the time? Oh, for sure. I think um, the the ease of it, I guess, is that we have. I, I guess we've we've played well in the regular season for for a few years now, um, and figured out different things that that are good and, and things that we've struggled with. And then, obviously, in the playoffs, um, I mean, what's the furthest we've been is, is the second round. So the, the whole season, you're you're figuring things out and, and working on things that weren't good from the year before or years before. Um, I mean, obviously, we're not preparing for the playoffs now, but, but you're doing stuff and, and trying to get better at things to, to make sure you are playing well at that time of the year. Um, obviously, for us, the, the switching defense has always been something that teams go to and, and whoever wants to judge it, whether it be successful or we, we've played well against it sometimes and we've, we've sucked against it sometimes. And um, I mean, I think 
I mean, obviously, I didn't play the end of the, the end of Sacramento game, but watching it on TV, they went small with Harrison Barnes at the, the five, and the guys did a hell of a job of of beating it and and defending too. I think we gave up like two or three point, two or four points or something like that in the last like three or four minutes of that game, and then last night, same thing with with Jamai or both Greens out there at certain times, um, and we were able to to. I think one of the I said a post game with with Locke. Um, one of our things has been to to realise when teams are switching and realise like that maybe not that first possession, but even if it is that first possession, being able to execute what we want to execute because there was times last night that we we knew when they were going to switch or or hedge and and try and get back and we were able to get off the ball and move the ball and we got layup after layup. Um, Realizing defensively what we're trying to do when they when teams are small when the, when the bigs are popping or they're trying to get a certain match up and I think we've done a good job obviously very small sample size in three games and the amount of minutes we've had to do that but I think overall it's been been good and um, it's something we've we've focused on so I think for the, throughout the course of the year there's going to be different times that we we need to be switched on I think that that urgency of just knowing what we want to do, being ready every game, knowing who we're playing, knowing when certain lineups are out there, how we want to play. Um, and I think, obviously, again, small sample size, but so far we've been pretty good at it. Yeah, for sure. And you individually look extremely comfortable coming off the bench. I can make an argument that it's the most comfortable you've looked since you've been in that role and you've bounced back forth between starting and coming off the bench. It looks like that's what it's going to be. And it looks like, as I say, you're very comfortable. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I feel um, maybe not surprising to me or Renee or my family, but to maybe to other people. But I feel I feel really good. I, I obviously confident out there. My body probably feels up there with the best it's felt. Um, I obviously went straight to the Olympics, but then had a good break and um, obviously didn't play the preseason and all that. And, and probably at the time, didn't know if that was a, a good thing or not. But now looking back, uh, obviously I played an extra 15 games in the summer so I had the legs of, of a game um, under me already and, and just needed to, to get a bit of a break and get away and um, yeah I just yeah I don't know I, I feel really good out there obviously the the comfortableness that you're talking about is, is obviously for being here for so long and, and being my eighth season and, and knowing what Quint wants and, and what he expects and um familiarity with playing with with the guys I play with now um, obviously Hassan and Eric are kind of new to that that second unit with with a few of us but um, yeah I just feel uh, I feel really good I I yeah I don't know what else to, to say I feel like um, every year I've tried to get better or do something um, better or more efficient um, and I think I mean, for me, it's it's no different. I'm going to go out there and play, play the way I play, try to help us win, and um, yeah, see what happens at the end of the year. Have you guys changed anything the way you're uh, doing anything that gets Rudy closer to the rim more often? He's grabbing 19 rebounds a game, and I know it's a small sample size, but that's like 50% more rebounds than he was getting before, and he was already a really good rebounder. So, is there any explanation for that, or is just one of those things that's happened over three games? I don't know. He's probably got a bonus in his contract or something this year <laughs> to get more rebounds. 
<laughs> nice. Um, no, I think, uh, again, like I was saying about myself, every, everybody goes away each year and tries to figure out something they can do better or something they can kind of, kind of help the team with or, or improve on. And, and like you said, his rebounding is not necessarily like it needed improving, but um, we know how good we are when we are, when we aren't obviously giving up offensive rebounds that we can get out and run. And um, I think probably not as much this year. I think Coach gave us a stat again, which is small sample size, but we were in the lower half of defensive rebounds um, to start this year off. So um, Maruti's obviously a key to that. Hassan's a key to getting them. Um, he, he protect, well, They both protect the rim. And um, I think for all of us to lock in on like getting a hit and, and getting the rebound, because we are so good in transition, we, we get out and run. Rudy's on the rim. We've got shooters out there. Uh, it's an advantage for us. So we have to, it's something we have to lock in on throughout the year. And, and again, obviously, Rudy and Hassan are kind of the, the main pieces of that. So you talk about how you feel really good and it's as good as you felt. And, and Mike Conley was talking about how he did yoga to make sure that he's doing everything he can to make himself in prime physical condition. Have you done anything different? Do you have a method that has gotten you to this point to where you feel so good? Um, I actually did some Pilates last year when during kind of COVID once we were allowed to do things um, with Renee. Renee and I would go down to a local spot with our uh, with our girl Sammy and we we did it three times a week. I think that was something that, that did definitely really helped me. Um, and I think the kind of just getting away from basketball, like not, not just like running on the court or not just going and shooting every day and um, I think as you get older, you, you find different things to um, just kind of keep your body ticking over or, or things that you learn over time. Like we've talked about, as you get older, you learn what you can eat and drink and not take or whatever you, caffeine or how much you can have or all, all these things that we um, think about as, as athletes to try and get the best out of us, whether it be um, me not playing preseason this year. Like, I, I've never not done that. I've always played at least a couple of the games. And, again, I was kind of nervous a little bit just thinking I would be underdone and, and obviously trusting um, the, the medical staff to, like, no, you'll be fine. You've played enough games. You've done enough running. You've done enough lifting. Um, and I think as you get older, you figure, I think one of the prime examples of that is, is Joe Johnson. I, I still remember when he first got here and obviously he was um, at the end of his career when, when we got him but he did hot yoga every game day and obviously that's not for everybody because it's kind of dehydrating as well if you don't drink enough fluids and all that but that was what he did and they, he loved it and it was good for his body and he would do that before our shoot rounds um, so it's just, just as you get older I think different things and, and different people find things and um I haven't done much different this year, obviously with the, the turnaround of time just because of the Olympics and, and obviously kind of getting back and spending some time with Renee and the kids. And then it was kind of, we were right back into it. But um, I think a part of it as well, sorry for the, the long answer, but um, it's just being, being home, being comfortable and settled at home and, the, the kids and, and Renee and, and everything, um, I guess away from basketball, is, is is in a really good spot. The kids are really happy. Jacob's dominating therapy. Jack's 
11 months and nearly walking and, and Renee's in a good spot with um, kind of a good group of friends now here over the time and um, for me that's obviously very settling to, to have that so um, yeah it's just all, all around things are, things are good yeah the American way of life really is good Joe I'm glad you've seen it no it's our Australian um, culture we have in our household. Still resisting, jeez, <laughs> after all these years. And yet he's raising got, a president, so, yeah, you know. An American one. ties to him. No, we already cut his passport off. He's only got an Australian one now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, you are you are mixing a little Australian and American culture here. you got a luncheon coming up. What is going on here? How do people get involved? What's the deal? Explain it to us. We do. Um Obviously, everyone that's followed us and, and Jacob's journey um, and what we tried or have tried to, to raise awareness for and, and, and funding, obviously. Um, we are on the board of Culture City who do amazing things in, in this space. And um, November, November 12th, um, we have a luncheon at the Grand America Hotel. Um, it's 11 o'clock till 2 o'clock. Um, entertainment, some talks, obviously... The, the, the money from the tickets and tables that are available and, and some sponsorships um, is being 100% donated to, to raising awareness and, and obviously the funding of, of families and stuff that need it, sensory rooms that are needed. Um, yeah, there's some, some pretty cool guests coming. Um, there is still tickets available, which is... Um, we want it to be sold out. So I'm going to tweet the link today. Um, I'll, I'll put it up on my, my social media today, but there, there's tickets available. We'd love people to come. Um, hopefully Quinn doesn't put practice on that day because I'll have to miss it. Um, but no, it's just, a, like I said, it's obviously something we're extremely passionate about. We went to the, the Culture City Ball um, in Alabama this summer and, you just when you're around these people, um, you realise how much good they're doing, and, and we're trying to do everything in our power to to assist with that. And um, there's some pretty uh, wealthy people here in Utah now, so we'd love them all to come and um, be a couple of things uh, auctioned off or, or given away on the day. And um, yeah, like I said, I'll, I'll post the the link on my social media um, today, and and Renee does all the time and. Um, yeah, if anyone can come, we'd love you to be there. So Surely 1280 can buy a table. Oh, for sure, yeah. I mean, DJ, with all the money he's making with the two jobs, no question about it. Uh, November 12th at the Grand American? Yes, tell your boss. Yeah. Tell your boss, DJ. I will tell my boss. <laughs> all right, Joe, we'll look for that on social media and uh, put it out there and uh, tag us. We'll probably retweet it because we know you because you've done our show for eight years. You've done my show. So. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> You're consistent. Yes, he is. You got to give him that, man. All right. All right. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, guys. There's Joe Ingles. When we return, what is trending? Stay with us.